0: Listen I do hope you're doing well we are going to be in Hebrews 9 today so if you have your Bibles uh, would you grab them and would you open with me to Hebrews chapter nine uh, typically here at Stone Oak what we do is we walk through books of the Bible just walk through them together and um, we've been walking through Romans the last well over a year we've been walking through this book and and it's been so rich we've made it to chapter 9. And uh, we're going to pick up there right after, right after Easter. Um, but we wanted to take a couple weeks to do something special and to do something important uh, together. And, and so for three weeks, what we wanted to do is kind of zoom out a little bit. We wanted to zoom out so that we could see, begin to see the big picture of Scripture together. So zoom out so we can see the big picture, the big, uh, what we've talked about is the big story of Scripture that we find our, ourselves in, um, and so we said last week we want to go from the stories of Scripture to the story of Scripture, to go from all of the stories and to be able to pull them together and to see the big story of of God's Word, to see how everything fits all the stories, but also, church, to see how you fit, to see how we fit into this story that we find in Scripture. And so last week, we talked about how it started with creation. And um, this is where our God created all things out of nothing, by His Word, for His glory, and it was good. In fact, it was was really good, exceedingly good, abundantly good. Then creation moves into the fall. Um, the fall, this is where the man and the woman, um, where they chose two things, or at least two things. First is they chose not to trust God. They doubted his character. They doubted his word. And they chose not to listen to him. That's the first thing. And then number two, they chose to trust themselves that they knew better, that they didn't need to listen to him because they had themselves, they were smarter, they figured it out, and they chose to disobey God. This is the fall, and this is where the world that you and I know and experience, this is where it began, where things that were once exceedingly good are now broken. Broken. Um, why do bad things happen? Why is there evil in the world? Um, why is it that when I look at the world and when I look at my heart, there's a brokenness? Why, why is that? Well, that is what we talked about a little bit last week, the fall. And because of the fall, there were three things that we brought out that happened. Um, the first one, and this is what we dedicated our whole time to looking at last week, is, is separation. That separation happened. For the first time, man and God were separated. There was a space. They once walked together in the garden, talked. There was communion and nearness. And now there's a void. There is a space because of the perfection and the holiness of our God. And because of the sin of the fall. The sin of our hearts. The man and the woman were taken from the garden, from the, the presence of God, and from that moment. What we talked about last week is that all humanity, all worldviews, all religions have sought to fix that problem of separation. How can we get to God? What do we need to do to bridge that gap to get to God? But as we talked about last week, Christianity does not do what all religions do. Christianity, I'll say this, Scripture does not tell you how to reach God. Scripture does not tell you what you need to do to get to God. Scripture, church, tells you how God reached down to you. Scripture tells you what your God has done to conquer the separation. Jesus steps into the separation, putting on flesh, so that you can know him so that you can commune with him, and so that separation is gone. See, church, we believe in the God who came near to us. We believe in the God who did the work for us, so that now through Jesus there is, praise God for this, no separation. No separation. Just a part of God's redemptive plan. So the first thing, like like I just said, is separation. But there are two other things that happen as a result of this, this fall, There's sin and death. And we're going to spend this week and next week talking about sin and death. Sin and death. Um, The fall, though, it touched everything. Touched everything. But praise God for his mercy and love and compassion that he did not leave us here. Because now we get to see the big and wonderful, beautiful plan of redemption now unfold just unfolding before our eyes as Jesus steps in and conquers the separation that we talked about last week. But as we're going to see this morning, and as we're going to see next week, Jesus steps in conquering sin and death and leads us into the final that final stage of restoration when Jesus returns and all things are made right and all of the things that we know in part, we then know in full and we see Jesus face to face. That's at the, the end of this grand story. But here is the big story. The big story. And because of the fall, we face separation, sin, and death. And because of God's great plan of redemption, now Jesus conquers separation, sin, and death. And, and we find ourselves in, in this story this morning. Um, listen, so we're going to talk about sin this morning. And um, just right off the bat, just honest moment here, I think this one's going to be challenging for us. Really challenging for us. Um. We talked about separation. I think that was a little easier to wrap our minds around than the idea of of sin. And so as we come to our text, I I think it's going to be just helpful to kind of pause and acknowledge the fact that this one's going to be hard. (laughs) This one is going to be hard. And I want to bring out a couple things so you know and you feel what I mean here. Um, As we think about ourselves, as we think about our community there's a couple things that we need to acknowledge that are kind of going on. The first is that we have been conditioned today to think in relative terms, that all things are kind of relative, that um, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and um, we think in these terms that are are so relative, and um, if I think one of the expressions that we hear all the time in our culture is my truth. You got to speak my truth and tell my truth. And I think we might be the first generation that uses that term. And that term would make any sense because in previous generations, it would just be speak truth. Like there's no my and your, it's just truth. And I get the expression. I get where it's going. But it highlights the fact that there is a relative spin that we have put on the idea of truth. We have been conditioned to think that all things are relative, and we are uncomfortable today with absolutes. We're uncomfortable with that, especially ah, the ones that you put on other people. That's where it gets really uncomfortable. It's a big no-no today. Um, So we're conditioned to think that our choices are relative, and and we struggle with the idea of absolutes that are true for all people at all times. And because of this, it's kind of conditioned us to think that our choices and our beliefs are so individualistic and personal. And there's this idea that what you believe and what you do is fine. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, you're fine. Who am I to tell you you're wrong? And because of this, we've lost the ability to speak in terms of absolute, absolute wrong, absolute right, absolute good, absolute evil um, in regard to an individual, and, and, and we, we default to the easy, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay, right? And... and not only that, I want to give you one more just to add on to the, the fact that this one's going to be a difficult one this morning. Um, we've also been conditioned to think so therapeutically. And um, when I say this, please, nothing against therapy. What I mean when I say therapeutic is, is, is that if it's relative, if truth is relative and it's about your truth and my truth, then often defining what is true for you, what does it come down to? It comes down to how you feel about it comes down to what what it's measured by. One, if it hurts others, no, no. But then two, how I feel about it. And, and that's how we determine and make determinations on what is true. And so when there is no objective, absolute truth out there, what we do is we tend to go inward to how we feel and, and our instinctual feelings and how other people feel, and that becomes our guide. So when there's no objective standard out there by which to judge ourselves, what we do in essence, we become the judges. Right? We become the, the judges. So here's what happens. Putting all of that together, um, putting all of that together, you know what it has done? <laughs> by and large, it's conditioned us to think that we're pretty we're pretty awesome. We're pretty good people. Like we know we're not perfect. So let's not get carried away, but we're pretty good. Like we're 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 slightly better than average or slightly better than the other guy that you have in your mind right now. And 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 when there is no absolute standard out there, we evaluate ourselves based on ourselves which leads us to think that we're pretty good. And you know what all of that has done? You know what all of that has has done as we bring all of this together? You know what is absolutely just incompatible with any of that? Sin. The idea of sin. Even the word S-I-N is icky. It's just out of place in our current cultural moment. It's just... It's, it's out of place. It doesn't make sense. It's almost like we are in this experiment where we have tried to destroy the category of sin. It just doesn't make sense. So we've, we've tried to just create this world in which the category of sin just doesn't even, it doesn't even make any sense. So this sermon is called Jesus Conquered Sin. <laughs> When I say that, um, most likely our world is going to hear that and say something like, oh, look at how cute that is. All these people gathered around, you know, getting all worked up about all that religious stuff, that idea of sin that doesn't even exist anymore. Look at all those people celebrating Jesus conquering something that doesn't even exist. Um, And when Scripture says that we've all sinned against God, like, that sentence comes from a different planet. It comes from a different world, at least a different time period. It comes from like Narnia. Like we think, okay, it makes sense for Narnia. But it doesn't make sense here, right? It just doesn't. It's a different world. And, and here's why I say this. We got to start here. We can start right here with what is it? What is sin? What is it? Sin is any thought, attitude, or action by an individual, community that is contrary to God's perfect will, his character, and his standard. It's all encompassing. That is all encompassing. Any thought, attitude, action by anyone that is contrary to God's perfect will, character, and standard, it is falling short of the perfection of Jesus. It's falling short of the glory of God. It is the fall. It is the fallen world. It is fallen humanity. It began in the garden, just as we talked about. As Adam and Eve, they placed their trust in themselves, not in God or his word. And since that moment, since their disobedience, sin has touched everything, everything. Everything, all humanity, we are sinners by birth, nature, and choice. It has touched everything. It's total, complete depravity. What began in the garden, what began in the garden now, who touches everything. And Scripture says that we are all sinners, that we all fall short, that there is no one righteous, no, not even one. And, and, and listen, Scripture does say that we have a judge. And it's not us. It's not us. We are not it. Scripture does say that there is an absolute standard that's not based, or it's not up for renegotiation. And it's not based on how you feel, or how they feel, a um, love feelings, but there's a standard that's beyond it. Beyond it. And it's based on God. God and his perfect and unchanging standard. And, and, and that truth, by the way, again, bring it around, is just otherworldly. Like, that does not make sense. It doesn't even compute. doesn't have a category. Um, I think Richard Niebuhr um, summed this up really well. In his book, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's talking about um, the religion that was developing in America, the Christianity that was developing in, uh, in America. And he says, we've tried to create a new story. We're trying to create a new gospel. And here's how he defines it. He says, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That is how he defined American Christianity in his time. How much more true is this statement as we look at the landscape of our culture out those doors? A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through Christ without a cross. Church, the problem with that is that's not the gospel. That is not the story that we talked about in Scripture. That is not it. And I believe that this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to snap us back to a little bit of reality. Out of the the world that we've maybe created into what is real, what is bigger than our cultural moment. And God wants to remind us of the true story that we are now in and living. And so, having said that, painted a real grim picture about how hard this is going to be, Um, let's come to our our text. Let's look at Hebrews 9 together. We're going to go on a bit of a journey together, and it's going to start for us in verse uh, 22. Verse 22. So Hebrews 9, 22 We'll start here. It says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So here, the writer of Hebrews is pointing us back to something that um, probably is going to be super foreign to us Going back, if we were to rewind back to the fall, we have the man and the woman, like we said, sinned, removed from the garden, the presence of God. Um, And we've said, praise God. God didn't stop there. God didn't leave us there. By his mercy and grace, he he was faithful when we were faithless. and, And the story of redemption unfolds. And so right in that story, if you were to flip back, starting in the book of Exodus, we we see God calling this man named Moses and calling him to lead his people, God's people, out of slavery, and, and God provides for them, sets them free. It is incredible. And then we read how God then gives his people, gives Moses something called the law. The, the law. And it, what it was, what it, it was how God's people were supposed to live, like how they were supposed to live, what they were supposed to do, what they were supposed to look like, how they were to live in a way that would make them distinct, bring glory to God, and in a way that they would flourish, living the way God created them to live. So having been given the law, though, they were perfect, right? They had it now. They could just do it, right? No, no. In fact, if you were to take your Bible and flip anywhere, like you name it, um, flip flip anywhere, it's going to be about a broken person. And it's going to be about the grace of God in spite of very broken people. You pick a story. They're not perfect. They were sinners, and, and here's the here's the reality. God, being so full of grace, still after giving them the law, not only provided for them and gave them the law, but He also gives them this real strange thing that we don't talk about much: the sacrificial system. He gives them this, and He provides them with this because this was the system that they were to use to deal with the fact that they couldn't keep the law to deal with their, their sin, to deal with all of the times that they fell short and broke God's law. So they, with goats and bulls and birds and just all kinds of animals, they would sacrifice them for their sins. Now, today, that seems crazy. Like, we're not even sure today if sin exists, let alone killing animals for it. Like, crazy. PETA would shut it down, right? Um, crazy. And, and, but as crazy as it seems, there is actually something extremely important here that the people of God were able to see through this. Because the wages of sin is death, this system, what it did is condition the people of God to see and to understand something huge. Look at the second part of this verse. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Here's what this scripture did. or Here's what this, this system did. Um, it helped the people understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It helped them see it because each and every time they sinned, they would see a visual gross eh representation of it. Every time they sinned, they would see the visual representation of the sacrifice laying in front of them, and they would be remembered that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. I don't want to get like real graphic here just for the sake of getting graphic, um, but there is something incredible here for the Old Testament people, they were given this continual visual of sin. It was gross. It was gory and bloody. It's a body of an animal. It was bleh. It was death. And they saw it as a community, as individuals, they saw it. And that scene was a powerful visual reminder of how serious and how grotesque sin really is. They'd see it. Fast forward and let's contrast that a little bit. I think it's sometimes so easy for us to try to justify sin for us to make it sound less bad, to dress it up, make excuses for it, make provisions for it, and to find a way to snuggle up to it. And we start to think, it's okay, it's not that bad, it could be worse. I mean, we all sin, so it's not that big of a deal, Pastor. Um, I mean, it's just a small sin. It's not as big as the sin that could have been done. So it's, it's, not, it's not that bad. But, church, the truth is sin is grotesque. It is serious, it is gross. And through the sacrifices, church, hear me. God gave his people the gift of seeing how gross their sin was. It's a gift that just keeps on giving. They would see how gross it was. They would see it. um, Okay. In preparing for this message, um, (laughs) confession time here, this was an incredible struggle for me. Um, It was a wrestling match. In in fact, I had to stop right here and just put it down, literally get up, stop what I was doing, and just take a walk and pray. This was a hard moment for me. And... um, This was one of those aha moments of just incredible clarity and conviction for me personally that I don't think I'm going to forget. Um, It was in this and preparing for this as I was studying, I was thinking to myself, what if we still had something like this? Like, what if we still had the sacrifices? I'm not saying I want to go back to that, please. (laughs) Um, But what if we still saw the blood? What if we went back to that and we saw the grossness of it? What if we still associated sin with that? What if? I mean, for the Old Testament saints, sin equaled blood, death, nasty. What if that was still true for us? What if we still had the sacrifices? Would that change us? It was right here that I very uncomfortably got hit between the eyes. And um, God just reminded me rather painfully, have you forgotten what I have called you to do? Have you forgotten your primary calling? Have you forgotten what all of this is about? Have you forgotten? It was in this moment I was reminded that my calling is to preach Christ in Christ crucified. That our calling is to proclaim the gospel. And it was in this moment that this is, I was reminded that this is exactly what I am called to do, we are called to do without compromise. It's why we point to Jesus every chance that we get. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. All we have is Christ because here's the truth. We do have a sacrifice to look to. We do have a sacrifice to look to. He is the sacrifice we look to. It is his body. It is his blood that we look to. Church, every week when we take communion, every week, it's his body, and it's his blood, it's his sacrifice that we look to. So when I was sitting there in my prep, just thinking, what if we still had this? The Holy Spirit was like, stop it, like, you do have this. You do have this. Preach Christ crucified. Proclaim the gospel. You will never graduate from the gospel. You're never going to move beyond the gospel. Preach Christ crucified. And every time you do, you look at the, the sacrifice. Every time you do. Listen, um, we defined sin earlier as any is any, you know, any and every thought, attitude, action that just misses the mark of God's perfection, just all of it. From the violent sins that we see on our news feeds, like this week we're coming off of a tough week, news coming from Colorado and Atlanta, taking that to the small sins, the um, white lies, the gluttony, materialism, selfishness, lust, pride, even the sins that we find respectable as a culture, all of it, all of it is sin. And I am a sinner in the need of the grace of God, a sinner who falls short of the glory of God. And it's here, church, that we get to look to the cross of Jesus daily, and I, want to, I was reminded of something this week that it was my sin that held him there. Every thought, every attitude that is contrary to God's perfect will, his character, his standard, the, the anger, the lust, the pride, the selfishness, it was all of that. That is what held Christ on the cross. Sin is grotesque. It is gross, it is serious, and it is just as deadly. Just as deadly. And as we look to Jesus, we are reminded of this. And I was just, we, we, we need to stop making less of sin or trying to justify the sins that held our Savior on the cross. about the Old Testament sacrifices later. We're not going to get to this. We'd be here all day. But later in Hebrews 10, it says, but in the sacrifice, there was a reminder of sins every year. Church, in the same way, we do have a reminder. And ours is more often than annually. Praise God for that. Um, we have the cross of Christ where the blood was, his blood was spilled. Our reminder is the word of God. Every time it is preached, The preaching of the cross. Our reminder is communion. Every time we gather, and and we remember communion each week, we do have a reminder. The question, church, is this. Do we see it? Because I was reminded, just because the Old Testament saints had the sacrificial system, they could have been walking around just as blind as we were. (laughs) The question is, church, do we see it? Maybe we have failed to see it. The question is, will we see it? Will we be reminded? We need to be reminded. The Old Testament saints, the sacrifice has served as that reminder. We need to be reminded. I could spend all day here. I'm not going to because there's, there's a little bit more we need to get to. Um, verse 23 Let's continue on. Listen to this. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. I love this. Um, Here's something so important. There's a difference between the copy and the real thing. There's a difference. There's a big difference in this text. The heavenly reality is infinitely better that the earthly copy was never meant to be the substitute for the real thing. It was only meant to point to the real thing because the heavenly reality is infinitely better. Listen to this in this text. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with these, with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Listen to this, verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. Let's pause here. There are two distinctions that I want to bring out. The first is repetition. This text says that the high priest enters the holy places every year. See that? Every year. So the people of God would sacrifice for their sins over and over and over again. Why? Why would they need to do that? Because the people needed to be reminded of their sin over and over and over again. This is the way the old system worked. The high priest would would offer the sacrifice over and over again each and every year, and the people would be reminded of their sin repeatedly. This was a repeated sacrifice. That's the first thing. The second thing I want us to notice here is the sacrifice itself. Don't rush past this. The text says the high priest enters the holy places every year with what? With blood not his own. With, with blood not his own. Um, in other words, the, the priest doesn't go into the temple and then spill his own blood for the people, does he? That's not what happens. You no, know, he enters with the blood of an animal. He enters with the blood of another. So the priest would offer a sacrifice, one that is repeated, and two with the blood of another. That was the earthly copy. Now, let's compare that to the heavenly heavenly reality, which is so much better, because church, Jesus is better. There's a new covenant by his blood, and listen to verse 26 as it brings it together. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay, Jesus must have been so unexpected to the people. Like, I think sometimes we need to just pause and acknowledge how completely unexpected Jesus would have been. Jesus could have come into this world and done what was expected. He could have come, and he could have functioned as a priest, and he could have gone into the temple and offered sacrifices and done it awesome, and just be the best priest ever, and and go and offer every year, and go and bring the, the animals. Jesus could come, the Messiah could come, and he could be just the ultimate priest king, and that would have been so expected for the people, because that's what the priest did, only he could just come and do it better, right? That's probably what they were expecting of Jesus. You know what they weren't expecting? They were not expecting for the Messiah to be the Son of God, God in the flesh, who would come in humility. They weren't expecting Jesus to come that way. And hear me. While they were expecting Christ to come and perform the sacrifice, they were not, church, expecting Christ to come as the sacrifice. For Christ to come and to literally be the sacrifice. For Christ to come as the perfect Lamb of God. Now that was not what they were expecting. I mean, let's consider this together. Whereas the sacrifices were repeated, Christ came once for all. Whereas the sacrifice used the blood of another, Christ came and offered himself. That means that as Christ hung on the cross, giving his life, as... as, he took all the sin on himself. He took sins your sins past, your sins present and future. God knew who he was redeeming. He knew who he was forgiving. And Jesus took your sin on the cross. We've said this before, but God knew what he was purchasing and he does not have buyer's remorse. He knew what he was purchasing on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross was once the once for all sacrifice for your sin, meaning there is no more sacrifice required. There is no more penance, no more work. He doesn't need any help or assistant. His work is sufficient for all of your sin. For all of your mess, your debt has been paid in full. You are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now in Christ, we come to God in repentance, confession, knowing that we will receive grace and mercy. (laughs) Knowing we will have forgiveness because our sin has been forgiven in Christ. Church, it was a, a gift for the people of God in the Old Testament to be reminded of their sin as they looked on the sacrifices, as they participated in that. It was, it reminded them of their sin, and, and again, it was a gift. That was a gift. It was a gift because in that, when they were reminded of their sin, it was in that that they also knew the forgiveness of God. Say this, people who don't realize their own sin never realize the goodness of forgiveness. And and listen, this upcoming week is uh, Passion Week. And um, it's the, the week that we remember the moments leading to the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. And church, just as it was a gift for the people of God of the Old Testament to be reminded for their sin as they saw the, the sacrifices of the, the Old Testament sacrificial system, just as that was a gift, this week, church, is a gift to you. It's a gift to me. For us to look to the cross. And as we do, to be reminded of our sin, to look to the cross and be reminded that Jesus conquered it all, that the truth that Jesus conquered sin as the perfect lamb of God, once and for all through his blood. This week, we're going to be reminded of the fact that it was, it was my sin, it was our sin that held him there. is, um, we began this morning, um, I just want to reemphasize, we need this in a culture who denies sin. We need to push against this and see ourselves clearly. Let's go back to that Niebuhr, um assessment of, of our culture. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Church, as we said, that is not the gospel. That is not what scripture sets before us. Scripture says that our God is perfect and holy and that his only right and just response to sin is wrath. Scripture says that our God is about redeeming sinners, redeeming sinners into his kingdom by Christ taking the sin upon himself on the cross. Without the bad news, church, there can be no good news. We are incapable of seeing it. And this morning, I believe again that God just wants to snap us out of this false story. To just take us and snap us out of that. And to put us back into the reality that we are fallen, to convict us of our sin, and remind us of the redemption that is in Christ for us. In light of that, I, I would like to um, have a time of response. Um, a time of confession and remembrance for us. Um, I'd like for us to continue in our worship and, and remember Christ and communion. But listen, I want to, before we do that, I would just like to set aside a moment. Just a quick moment for prayer. A moment for reflection and a moment for confession. And, and this might be and feel just a little odd. Um, And that is okay. As the American church, we can sometimes get real uncomfortable with silence when things aren't happening. Um, Push against that. Push against that. Silence is beautiful. When we stop talking, it's amazing. Sometimes we don't know what to do with it. That's okay. But I believe, honestly, I believe that this might be the most important time of our morning together. Um, for the next couple of moments, what I'd like for us to do, nothing hokey or crazy here, what I'd like for us to do is to just bow our head, close our eyes, and pray Psalm 139. Um, and then to take a moment to listen. Together to listen. Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. and See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, would you bow your your heads, would you close your eyes with me? Lord, search me. God, know my heart. Try me. Examine me. Know my thoughts. God, would you see if there is anything, any grievous way in me? And would you lead me in your way, the way everlasting? Everlasting. Just for a moment or two, let us spend a moment in prayer before the Lord. Spirit, would you speak? Is your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that would bring to our eyes our sin because it is in this that we see your grace and forgiveness. Lord, thank you.